Welcome to A Brush with Creativity, a show where we'll unravel the threads of inspiration and offer a panoramic view of the creative landscape. From paintbrush strokes to scientific breakthroughs, melodies to captivating narratives, join us as we guide you through the vast expanse of creativity, where every episode is a new brushstroke on the canvas of inspiration, and every idea is an open door to that which has never existed. All right, so it's been a while. Yeah, it's been? been a while. Good, good. Everything's been going swimmingly. Do, do the kids still say that? Do the kids still say uh, swimming? I don't know. That's a lot of illiterate or that. What is that? That's a lot of syllables there. Swimmingly. Yeah. They might yeah, shorten it to just uh, swim. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I should say it's been a pretty dope week. Dude. There Maybe you go. There you yeah, go. I don't know. You got it. <laughs> awesome. So we're going to talk today about finding, getting in touch with your personal muse um, as an artist, as a writer. How do we do that? So, of course, we have to look at the ancients a little bit um, to kind of look at how they saw the muse and how it worked in its relationship. But you had some really good ideas about how it works exactly the opposite of dating. Can you kind of elaborate on that? Yeah, I mean, okay. So I think when when we get in touch with our muse, right, we're um, we are to a degree we're personifying the the, uh, the interactions that we're having with our creativity, right? And so you think about um, you think about like you know you you see someone that you're attracted to sitting across the park right and so then you go up to them and and like maybe you get the courage to say hi and then maybe you get the courage to uh strike up a conversation and then you eventually figure out their name and maybe uh maybe you agree to meet up again and for coffee or something and then and then all this time what you're doing is you're building a relationship with that person right and then you're hoping um that this is going to be the one or or someone whom you know you can spend some time with your in your life, uh, maybe get very intimate with, right? That's kind of how human relationships work, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so, a lot of people will take that approach to their creativity. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna put my toe in the water, you know, so to speak. I'm I'm just gonna kind of kind of play with my creativity a little bit, and then maybe get to know it, and then um, I'll get to know it, you know, a little bit better over time, and and maybe that relationship with my creativity will will ex, you know explode and there's and, and look we're talking about formulas here and there's no right or wrong i mean maybe mm. that's the way that it works for you mm. um but i think there's a lot to be said for um for just diving in and so this is where it's the reverse of human relationships right instead of um starting out with just like maybe playing with your creativity and getting to know it a little bit. You just go full bore, man. Just go straight in, right? So this is where you've, you know, you're, um, you are not going up to that person that you're attracted to on the other side of the park and, and, and nervously saying hi. I mean, you're chasing them down and, <laughs> and 
throwing them in an embrace and opening yourself up to them in the most intimate way right off the bat, right? Gotcha. Say to yourself, you would never do that with human beings. And, and by the way, you know, boys and girls, please don't do this. Uh, this is not uh, something you should do to people. Um, but with ideas, right? With, with your creative, yeah, don't, yeah, don't do that. Don't do that. Uh, it's just, it's, it's just bad. This, this will, and you will, you will get an orange jumpsuit and shower sandals for years uh, <laughs> behind iron bars, um, rightly so. Um, but I think with ideas, it, it can be a little bit different, right? Because we're not talking about a, a person. Um, we're talking about that creative. Uh, that creativeness that's coming into you, however it's coming into you, right? And I think that that is something that's probably less like forming a relationship with a human being in, in a way. It's and it's more a little like that and hunting at the same time. You've got to you've got to grab it and wrestle it down, and and you've got to pin it down. And when I say pin it down, I mean that all seems very dominant and everything like that. But I think there's an aspect where in that process, you are also opening yourself up and letting it pin you down and letting it, you know, enter you, right? So don't think of two, like, WWE wrestlers down on the mat, you know, <laughs> think about think about emerging of two energies, right? Um, and, and that's that's a little bit more abstract, but I think I get a lot, I've always gotten a lot more out of that. Um, because you don't have to, this is a relationship that you don't have to take in stages. Like you can just, you can just jump in and go for it. So like, what does this look like in reality? Um, yes. I, uh, I remember when I was a senior in high school, I'd never painted with oil paint before ever. Mm. And I wanted to learn how to paint in oil. And my, uh, my art teacher at the time, um, I think she had done a little bit of oil painting in college or something, and and she she had some she had some good advice and 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 whatever. But for the most part, I I, I came quickly to understand that I was going to have to teach myself a lot, right? Uh -huh. um, because they didn't really teach oil painting in high school. I was in an advanced art class um, where I was sequestered into a room by myself because I was unruly. <laughs> and so imagine, and so I said, uh, I, I, I you know at that time in my life um was a time when I was just I was so open to the muse so to speak that you know we were just blended and walking in one body all the time right mm. and it was just a beautiful time in life and I I I had this idea for a painting I saw it crystal clear in my head right and I said well I want to create this painting and uh I've never painted before so um, of course, it's got to be like six feet long and uh, three and a half feet tall. And I've got I'm gonna have to build my own canvas and stretch it. And so I and I had to learn everything. Now, this is pre-internet. Like there was uh -huh. no internet. There was DARPAnet, I guess, back then. But there was <laughs> there was no public internet, right? And so YouTube was something that did not exist. If you wanted to learn things, you had to you had to go to this. Um, now I know that. People world. right now are not going to believe that these things existed or that they still exist. This is not a conspiracy theory, but there are buildings yes. that exist almost every city. Yes, um, that are filled with books. Not and, as um, many as they used to be, but yes, yeah, yeah I know because everything's gone digital. I know it sucks, but <laughs> but uh, find an old one. Find a big old one in a big city, and you'll find you'll find. But books, and guess what? These books you can take home for 
free. Um, when you try that at Barnes and Noble, it doesn't work out so well. Um, but, that orange jumpsuit. <laughs> yeah, no, you just get a big burly guy chase you down in the parking lot, and then it's a whole different kind of merging. But the thing, is, the thing is, is that the thing is, is that these books, you know, housed all of the information I needed to to just get me going. And so my first oil painting was this giant monstrosity, right? Like that actually came out pretty darn good for you know a high school senior. So why do I bring that up? I'm like, okay, so if I could have taken the I could have taken the approach of let's do it the other way. Let's get to know my creativity and put my toe in the water and you know kind of introduce ourselves into the small. I could have done some small sketches and I could have done some thumbnail oil paintings to mm -hmm. kind of get used to the oil and figure out what is linseed oil and why do you use it and like what is this thing called a la prima and do I even want to paint that way and what is this brush? What's the difference between a sable hair and a camel hair and What's this damn palette knife for, man? That's just a weird contraption, right? And and all of these things, I could have I could have just like figured it out in stages and stuff like that. And there's nothing wrong with that. Mm -hmm. This is the way a lot of people. I think that's really fine, right? But for me, um, OJT is is my life, man. Throw mm -hmm. me in with the tools and say, figure it out, and I will I will progress further, faster, and in a in a way that is more fulfilling to my spirit than, than if I don't do that. So if I try to do it the other way. So all I'm saying is that unlike with human relationships, you can actually, you can actually do this the opposite way, right? Like you can actually, you can actually just merge right off the bat. Usually we say, wait, wait for marriage with, <laughs> with human, with human <laughs> mergings, human mergings give birth to little mergings and right. little merging moms and dads take care of them. But uh, and and in the art world, in the creative world, um, you will find that this happens too, right? Once you've like merged with that creativity, then um, then more things start to come into your head, right? More and, and into your heart and into your being, and next thing you know, you're creating children like crazy. You know? Uh, absolutely. I think that that um, the idea that came into my head that popped into my head is uh, it's a discovery. Getting with our muse is a discovery by immersion, um, is what I'm getting. Where you're ju you just jump into it, it's like a pool of water, and you just embrace it all because it all is you, but it's all also this medium that allows you to connect with things that are in your head, but also things that are outside of your experience and things that are yet to be in your experience. So I, oh, I, right see, I see that immersion. So a discovery by immersion would be definitely a great place to start. Um, so uh, yeah, I, I love that analogy. I, I, you know, all analogies break down at some point in time. Mm -hmm. That's the whole about an analogy that's why some people say argument by analogy is the worst form of argument right like so i get it right like so we we throw out these analogies and you might find one that works better for yourself maybe like jeff was talking about like with being a diver or something like that but like um all analogies are great for helping us to understand things don't get too wrapped around the axle when they start to break down though absolutely so how did they do this um getting in touch with themselves in antiquity. I think that, 
um, you know, sometimes some people say things and they just they go into my ears one way and 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 then it starts a whole train of thought and it's interesting. Um, I think because in the ancient times we weren't afraid to touch ourselves. <laughs> I see. Um, and so what do I mean by that? Like um I mean that in both ways, right? Like, I mean, but I think seriously, I think that one of the things that we see as we move back in antiquity is that um human beings walked in two worlds they walked in the world of the physical and they walked in the world of of the metaphysical or the spiritual spiritual metaphysical religious any of those kinds of terms where we're talking about the non-physical the non-reductionist materialistic world that we live in um comes those terms are all loaded so everybody who's going to hear this is going to come in with preconceived ideas about what spiritual means or what religious means or what metaphysical means or what mm. paranormal means or whatever. But I'll just say that in all honesty, uh, creative people, musicians, poets, writers, artists, architects, you name it, were very, very, very in touch with that, um, with that spiritual side of reality, with that non-physical side of reality. Um, going back as uh, pretty much as far as we can go back in human history, right? Even when we uh, look at, you know, the latest excavations in Turkey, which put human um, stone buildings back 12,000 BC, right? Um, we see that, uh, or more, right? We see that there's something going on there where they're not just, they're not just creating, um stone photographs right they're creating ceremonial objects right which tells us that they're in touch with that other side so i would say it's hard today mm -hmm. uh, in a world where um one of the probably the fastest growing religions is atheism and i say that mm. because because it's a belief system in and of itself I don't say that to be insulting to anybody um certainly if someone believes or if someone doesn't believe in traditional religion or traditional understanding of God or any God at all, right? Or anything beyond this life, um, they'll, they'll be scratching their head and saying, what about all of the wonderful things that, that atheist artists create? And they do, they create amazing things as well, right? Um, I'm going to tell you, I'm, I'm not the person to ask about that. Mm. I, I just, I can't speak to that. I can only say that I can only say things that would be inflammatory and I would never want to be in five really close friends of mine who are atheists and I have nothing but respect for them. So I don't want to do anything that I don't want to say anything that dishonors or disrespects somebody else because of their belief systems or, or their lack of a belief system. Um, the, but the closest answer that I could give is, and, and again, that with, with all due respect is that, um, we're spiritual beings, even if we don't know we are. Let's just, you know, maybe we can take it down to, you know, what is thought and where do thoughts come from? And, mm -hmm. and, and you know, there's a biochemical electrical discharge across the neural neurons in your, in your, in your brain, like, but my light socket doesn't make Mozart. Mm-hmm. Right. So what is it that's unique and special about that electrical pulse, that chemical electrical pulse that's occurring between neurons in our brains? Like we're we're still trying to figure that out. You know, consciousness, even atheists believe in consciousness, right? Like, so mm -hmm. 
consciousness is a thing, but but, but it seems to be non-locale, right? So we could get into theories of where creativity comes from, but they're, they're mm-hmm. just going to be theories. And, and if I was to argue from an atheist perspective, I would say, but all you have on the spiritual side are theories too. And I'm like, right, you are correct. They're just theories because we can't prove them in a, in a materialist um, laboratory setting. But mm-hmm. nonetheless, I can walk in that reality. I can know that reality. I can live in that reality. I can engage with that reality. I can speak to that reality and it speaks back to me. Now, you want to call it imagination? That's fine. I'm not insulted. Mm-hmm. Imagination is pretty powerful. Albert Einstein said imagination is more important than knowledge. So that's that's what I would say to that. I see. So I think I have a question. <laughs> so, the, so the idea of antiquity and our connection with ourselves and our understanding of the elements around us kind of gave us a place of awe that we could because when we saw a sunset or or moonrise or um animal that came out of nowhere um we saw this sense of awe and and majestic presence uh that was so much that it spoke to us in a way where it where we began to see ourselves as not physical beings but also have a spiritual side yeah and so yeah. so as we embrace this part of us back when we were man and growing to become a better and better society as as far as our connectedness together in a tribal sense, um, there was a time period when, because you had this belief, this spiritual belief that that you could walk between both of these worlds, and I think that's what you're that's what you're implying. Oh yeah, no, and we have, you know, as far back as we have written human history, we have references to ceremonial magic, right? So as so and and so ceremonial magic, I think probably predates written history. Magic that people are engaging with definitely predates whether or not it was what we would know today as ceremonial magic or if it was a more antiquated form of of, of magic. We know that that was being practiced. So when we say Tobin, what are you talking about when you're talking about magic? Right. Well, what, what we're talking about here is at its at its at its core right the methods by which people are using not just not just to get a greater access of of that spiritual world but but also um the way that they are manipulating the relationship with that spiritual world in order to create in this world and that could be architecture music poetry painting whatever artists have been using these kinds of of methods right which we mm-hmm. might call ceremonial magic and so do you, like what even is that right like where we're using ritual and structure mm-hmm. where we're where we're using invocations and prayers uh we're making heavy use of of symbols and and certain tools that are only for like ceremonial use um the practice of astrology and and looking at planetary influences on our existence here on this planet you know whether it affects the hunt or affects the seasons or affects Mm. relationships 
consulting with the divine through consulting, you know, shamanism and and divination, divination, div, div, ah, divination, oracles, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. We see all of this in antiquity, right? Right. And these are all ways that that human beings are not only just opening up that veil even more to to walk in both of those worlds, but they're actually trying to use what's what they're getting from that other side of human existence, that non-physical side of human existence, and they're bringing it into this world and and then creating it here, right, with the influence of what's there. And so when we talk about ceremonial magic and creativity, that's, that's specifically what I'm looking at, right? So these things have been around for a long time. Now you can you could choose to believe or not believe in the spiritual world, but you you don't get the opportunity to choose that or to believe that human beings for tens of thousands of years have been doing this in creativity. And they're doing it today. Even to this very day, artists uh, are doing this, right? So does that mean that every artist, every writer, every poet, every, like, no, I'm not saying that everyone is like, consciously engaged in some form of of ceremonial magic you know where they're where they have their own invocations and sacred objects and vestments and whatever but i would argue that if you read things like daily rituals right mm-hmm. you'll find that people do like mm-hmm. they, it's just my special brush i only use for portrait painting or before i go into a painting room i i always burn incense and i uh do some yes. deep breathing artists always have these weird things that they i mean you think about test pilots you remember when we saw um the right stuff right there's these little rituals they go through before they fly the mm-hmm. experimental planes you know where they put their gum or catchphrase that they say or the way they knock on the you know people and run through a through a yellow light and they tap the dash on you know for good luck or something I, people have these things that they yes. do these little rituals that they do whether you are conscious of it whether you're consciously saying i intend to perform some form of ceremonial magic you know like <laughs> I, I, you know the and and you see it in religious practices definitely right and then the the blurring of those religious practices with art right like so then we start we don't just say our prayers we chant our prayers and we make mm. it into dance right or we don't just you know make a statue we make a statue of some representation of something that's on the other side so that we can have that here with us visually to keep us in that mind space, that mind soul space, right? Gotcha. So to sum up, in order to get with your muse, so to speak, um, it's more of an it's more of an immersion uh, in our. I can speak that I feel very much in tune with what Tobin's saying is that it's very much an an immersion when I really create art with my words or create art itself, like through art classes in high school, it was very much that I saw the product come together when it was that time of immersion with it. And yes, ritual becomes part of that because we want to, we love that immersion. Um, We love that idea of being one with whatever that concept is that we're trying to put into life. Um, And I think that in getting in touch with your personal muse, you can't ignore your spiritual side. Um, At least, like I said, from, from our standpoint, from what we've talked about and what we've 
found a common experience with. So if that is true, then it's all about finding about your finding out about your your rituals that speak to you, correct? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. So we we have about three minutes. Did you want to speak with or talk with that? Talk with us about that a little bit. Yeah, I think I think we just go through this real fast. Okay. I, I think that, and this is going to be hard to understand in a world that's so polarized and um, with very um, detailed religious practices. Mm. Um, this is not religion. Like this is art. This is creativity. Like the inner. This is this is your interaction with your creativity. So you don't. So, so don't, don't pollute that with, um, don't pollute that with like constructs that you bring in from other things, unless you feel inspired to do so. Right. So don't like, if you are a Christian, you might say, well, this means that I need to do a Jesus prayer before every painting. Well, is that a bad thing or a good thing? I don't know. It depends on you. And and it depends on your relationship with your creativity and, and how you want that to flow, right? So we've talked about flow before. We'll talk about it again in depth in the future. But but when you're in a state of flow, that's that's what you're trying to get to as a creative person, whether you're writing or painting or whatever. And whatever it takes to get you there is the right answer, right? That And you're not going to know that by... You're going to know it faster by just embracing the doing, like just jump in with both feet and do the things Yes, you're inspired to do, right? If you're inspired to create a six-foot painting, create a freaking six-foot painting. Mm -hmm. Do it. Like you're going to learn more from doing that. Yeah, Yeah. down to work. Yeah, so I would just say, I would just say that, and then let, let the, let the, uh, you'll know what to do. It, it'll, it'll speak to you. You're creative. That side will speak to you. Right. So we've been talking about how to get in in touch with your personal muse. Um, we talked about the individuality part of actually diving in and it working the opposite of a relationship, which is very timid. This is more personal. You actually dive into the media. Tobin gave a great example about oil painting. Uh, then we talked about embracing your your spiritual nature and spiritual nature. We want to be very careful to explain this idea of being just that which is non-physical and moving past these stereotypes of what spiritualism and what spiritual spirituality is um, to get a better sense of what is not physical because we're so far into the physical that it can um, at times block us. And also this idea of getting in touch with our ancestral roots, uh, whatever inspiration is to you, that's what it is. Uh, Don't worry about acceptance in your community, in your society. Um, The last thing we're going to speak on is kind of those demons uh, a little bit. So as you're getting in touch with those, there's going to be a lot of resistance. And what that resistance is, uh, if we're going to get in touch with our creative selves and have a relationship with our creativity, there's a dark and there's a light part that we have to battle 
uh, the darkness and the lightness. Um, like you said, there has to be a, a fusion of the two, but there is definitely a darkness that it seems like it doesn't want us to create. Can we talk about if we want to get in touch with our personal muse, how do we get around these things that are for that are our distractions that are keeping us from that creative life? I think that everybody has an experience in life that they can think back to where they had to where they were forced into a situation where and I'm not talking about I'm not talking about something that where you were disrespected or dishonored but but that you were forced into a situation where you had to do something that was very uncomfortable mm. and like you can probably think of this in your life Jeff like what was something that you had to do like maybe in school or something that was very uncomfortable Okay, so I used to have to get up and and give book reports, and it was my sixth grade teacher, and he would judge whether or not by his questions at the end of your book report whether you knew the book or not, and so if he felt like you didn't answer them to his uh, specifications, he would throw the book at you, like literally throw the book at you, and I wonder why I had such a hard time reading and loving to read and wanting to go to college and read and read and read. Um, so that would be an example of there was an extreme fear of getting up and presenting in front of people because he, you didn't want to get, you know, the side of a the side of the Bible up, up the back part of your head. Oh my gosh. Throwing a Bible is just anyway. <laughs> okay. So I was looking at something more like, um, more like there was probably didn't involve like being dishonored or disrespected because that's <laughs> a bit like being dishonored and disrespected. So I'm thinking of like, um, like, but I think you did bring up something that we've probably all had an experience with, and that's the first time that we ever had to get up in front of a room full of people mm -hmm. or in front of a congregation or in front of a classroom or whatever and talk in public, right? So speaking in public is one of the things that people talk about as being the most terrifying things that they they could they could have to you know to do right and and it's something we can probably all relate to there right? you go. So that's a really good one <laughs> right so the first time that you ever have to do it it doesn't matter how much you prepare mm. For most people the first time that you have to do it is gut-wrenching it's like all the feelings and some that you didn't even know that you could feel <laughs> will come to you right and 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 you know it, it can manifest itself in so many ways trembling knees nervous stomachs sweating profusely stumbling over your words passing out um there's all kinds of things right like so um i don't think it's usually for most people that extreme when they first try to go to the typewriter and type their first short story or their first <laughs> novel or create their first poem or write their first song or paint their first painting or do their first screenplay. I don't think there's that level of nervousness, but, mm -hmm. but maybe it's that it's just a different kind of nervousness. And to your point earlier, that discomfort, um, that resistance that you're feeling um, is is natural and it's normal and it's going to manifest itself in some 
crazy ass ways, right? And <laughs> the the trick though, uh, I think a lot of people will tell you is that you know the trick is to ignore that or mm-hmm. to push past it mm-hmm. or to learn to like that. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there's a thousand strategies, and again, you have to find the one that works for you. But ultimately, what you have to find a way to do at that particular point is to do the thing that at that particular time you most don't want to do. So your brain is going to give you every excuse under the sun for why you shouldn't do it. Look, if you're if you're overweight and you're not in very good health shape mm-hmm. and you know that you need to go to the gym and work out, right? You know you need to do that. But and you do all the things you buy the workout clothes you buy some snappy new tennis shoes and you and and you get a membership at a really cool gym where you know you feel like you're not going to be so judged or whatever and you go to uh your calendar and you you set your alarms and everything still at 4:30 in the morning when that alarm goes off that first day your brain is going to tell you every single reason why you shouldn't do this, even though it's the best thing for you. And it's going to do that because our brains are wired to protect us. Yes. Right. That same part of your brain that protects you from touching a hot pan on a stove or holding your hand over a fire, because that's generally a bad idea. (laughs) um, That part of your brain is protecting you from something that it senses is going to harm you. And why it senses it's going to harm you is because you have all these emotions tied up around around this, right? And so this is an instance where you have to overcome that, that protective aspect of your brain. You have to sit there and look in the mirror and say, my brain is telling me not to do this, mm-hmm. but I'm going to do it anyway. Right. And then you you pick up that damn paintbrush and you start painting. And you know what? Do it without expectations. There you go. Do it without expectations. And then do it without judgment. Mm-hmm. So no expectations going in. I have no expectations going in. I'm just chasing what's in my imagination. And look, the first time I did it, I'm going to look at what I did. And you are going to have a, na- it, it's going to, it's going to happen, whether you try to or not. Uh-huh. The first time that you go to write, play music, create a painting, whatever, you are going to look at that and you are going to judge your effort yes. against all the greatest motherfuckers out there that have ever touched a paintbrush, <laughs> who've ever written a novel. You are going to judge yourself against every single one of those people. And you're going to say, I'm shit. I need yes. to stop. I am delusional. I'm not going to do this. And then you're going to say, I'm not worthy. I'm not talented enough. I'm blah, 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 blah. This is why everybody quits New Year's resolutions one weekend, right? Because mm-hmm. they don't they don't see immediate results. And so I think what Jeff and I are trying to say is that when you're interacting with creativity, you need to get out of the mindset of the thing mm-hmm. that you're creating. It's not about that. Yeah. It's about the doing Every successful painter, writer, poet, musician who's out there will tell you it's not about the finished product. The finished product is almost always depressing in some way because mm. because it's done in that experience that is over. And now you got to go start a new experience. And yes. That's the cool thing, right? 
that's what we said earlier about maybe it's good to have several things going at once 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 you're into the groove of this right mm -hmm. but um you know it's it's like uh it's like after it's over it's a little exhausting and then you're just like oh my gosh now what right and and if if you ride that wave into the next thing right that's going to be great and then you know what do you do when the next thing doesn't come right away like so that's what you learn from those first early sessions of interacting with your creativity day one was a shit show mm. it didn't go any way the way that i thought it was hard work and and i really thought i would enjoy it more like and okay cool but like you're gonna give up after one day that's kind of dumb <laughs> like anybody who's done anything learned how to do anything will tell you it takes time mm -hmm. it's two factors time and effort time and effort time and effort everybody will always tell you that yeah like even if it's spiritual experiences time and effort right so after six months of doing this like every day or several times a week or whatever then you might look at this and you might start to make some conclusions about how you're doing it and how you want to change doing that. Um, but you probably won't give it up. Uh -huh. And then I would say that the, the other thing in that is just like, learn to be a reader. If you say I'm not a reader, fine, go to YouTube or have something read books to you on audiobooks. That's fine mm -hmm. too. Like it's totally cool. I get it. But read about the life of other artists mm. and how they do things. Read about not just the technique that they used and their life and all the crazy things they did, but really get into like, what was really look for those explanations behind their methodology. Right. Georgie O'Keefe was a great American painter and, and she lived from this time to that time in this place and did painted that. So that that's all great to know. Mm -hmm. But what I'm more interested in is like, what was her thought process going into a painting um how did do we have any inclination about how she constructed her day or what mm -hmm. her like did she interact with like some kind of practice that she did maybe it was not very spiritual seeming to me mm -hmm. then again maybe it was like uh i think her name is i can't pronounce it very well she's a swedish painter hilma clint uh-huh uh, hilma off clint i think was her name and um, I mean, she communicated with like these angelic entities, right? So it was a very spiritual experience, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, it runs the gamut in between. And like, so, you, and then you might say, like, oh, Tom, gosh, you know, I'm, I'm trying this so hard, but like, I'm, I'm painting or I'm writing, and things are happening, but I don't sense any of that spiritual aspect of things. And what I would say to that is, stop trying. Mm. Mm -hmm. Stop trying. It'll come. Uh, what'll happen is that after a time when you've stopped looking for it, when you've stopped trying to feel it, mm -hmm. you're gonna look back on your life and you go, man, I'm trying to I'm trying to figure out the point at which that this started to happen to me. And I, I can't really put my finger on it, but it it almost seems like it's always been here. That's that'll be you in the future. But mm. you it's like you have to see by not looking and you have to feel by not touching and you have to know by shutting your brain down and that's all very impossible
so if you're trying to do those things. So you have to do by not trying. Sounds very bizarre. Star Wars ish. <laughs> yeah, George Lucas just screwed everything up for us, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, I so think of it, to, think of it to, like this: if I take my hand and uh, in the swimming pool and I slap it mm -hmm. like this, I slap the water as hard as I can. It's going to hurt. Yes. Right. But if I take my my hand and I just slowly dip it in like this, I almost can't even feel it going into the water. Right. Mm -hmm. So there's a difference. Like there's there's like you want to wrestle the idea, but you don't want to wrestle the 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 feelings that you feel. Just let yourself feel and you're going to be unique. So you say, you know, Sammy Hagar got downloads from aliens i'm i'm not getting downloads from aliens that's okay it's not your thing you're different every human being is unique and different unto themselves so getting in touch with your personal muse is the idea of number one being non-judgmental of anything that you produce so that's very important that you just feel the process that you just get yourself immersed in the process and that you do so in a consistent manner, not a honeymoon, where I see many artists take this, this honeymoon approach where, you know, they do a great painting and, and so they're all into that painting. And then once it's finished, they're like, oh, I can never do anything as great as that again. Okay, now you're into yourself. That's the problem. The process is that you are the, the instrument. You are the vessel that empties yourself so that the creativity can come into you and flow with you. And so when you force it, people can tell. They can see it in the, in the work. But when you're more open to it, and you embrace the fact that you've got this part of your brain that wants to keep you safe all the time, and it's been doing so, and it's been very successful at it, then you have to let go of that self, show up at the canvas, so to speak, on a regular basis, and find out what your invocations are that get you in the mood, um, so to speak. But it's really about consistency and openness and realizing it's not about you at all. It's about mm -hmm. you allowing something to work through you. Right. Yeah. So when yeah. you hear those agree, things yeah. in the back of your mind that say, oh, this, this piece is crap, um, which I hear all the time when I do my first graphs, I'm like, this is crap. Oh, yeah, it is. <laughs> There's, I mean, there's no way around it, right? But when you're looking at someone and, okay, you think about it, you're basically taking Legos and you're just throwing them all over the floor, right? You're getting them all over the floor when you're writing. And then you're taking those Legos and you're finding the patterns and pieces to put together a beautiful millennial falcon or whatever, right? Um so the rough draft part for writers, right, is just you're just getting all your pieces out 
in front of you. And then it's just a matter of picking up this piece and going, hmm, what would happen if I take this red block and I put it with, oh, wow, that's kind of cool. Let me try that over here. Ooh, cool. I can make a pattern. If that, yeah. Does that kind of yeah, I, I think bridge it's between the two? Yeah, I think, I think it's a great way to put it. Yeah, I think, again, I, I come at creativity from a very kind of metaphysical kind of viewpoint. And then I know other artists who don't think about the spiritual side of things or the non-physical side of things at all. Like it's, and they create amazing works of art. So there's not one way to do things. Mm -hmm. I think when we talk about interacting with creativity, right, you can get real introspective on where your creativity comes from and how uh, how to interact with it. Um, but but ultimately, like I said, you are unique unto yourself. Absolutely. So getting in touch with our personal personal muse is about finding that individuality in yourself, individualistically diving into the materials, whatever they are, uh, being able to feel, touch yourself in a way where you where you begin to not associate yourself as this producer of something, but more in a relationship, um, embracing that spiritual side, that that sense of awe and wonder, moving past those stereotypes of that go with being spiritual or not spiritual um, and getting to the point where you're just doing it because it's a part of you, a part of your life, just something that that is as automatic as going for a walk each day or going to the store. And then it's when you take yourself back from that lifestyle that you begin to see the fusion did occur and it can occur again and again and again. Right on, right on. I, yeah, totally agree with that. So I'd say a couple things here mm -hmm. um, because some of the things that you said um, made me feel like this is a good time to interject it. Okay. So I want to talk about two things real quick. I'm going to talk about like major exams in college or high school. We've all probably experienced um, mm -hmm. exams that we didn't want to take that were really hard. And then um, I also want to talk a little bit about, I want to talk a little bit about expectations, right? So first of all, exams. Um, I think most people know that if you have a very difficult exam to study for, um, cramming, right, is a thing, right, that mm -hmm. people do. And most uh, scientists and all will tell you that cramming probably is not the best way to prepare for an exam. Right. Um, there's a stress level that you will that you will feel that naturally will keep you from um, retaining as much information as you could have if you'd used other study methodologies. Right. So cramming at the last minute to learn, you know, um, 17 chapters of early American history before your midterm tomorrow is probably not going to significantly raise your grade, mm -hmm. right? How engaged were you with the material during the course of study that's going to give you the bulk of the correct answers on that, right? We have long conversations about the best ways to study, but that's kind of not the point. The point is, is that you're putting in a 
you're putting an emotional stress load on yourself that impedes your performance. I see. Right. And so what happens a lot of times when we're talking about engaging with creativity, whether it's being new at something or being a seasoned professional, and you know, I have to create this painting for this client mm -hmm. in X amount of time, right? Like we could be talking about someone sitting in a recording studio, getting ready to put together an album, right? Mm -hmm. Like we could be talking about somebody who's just accepted an advance on a novel and now they're sitting down in front of their computer and all of a sudden they have heart palpitations. Like, right, like, so mm -hmm. here's the thing. This is where we were talking about water and this is where we were talking about stepping back and, and you know, feeling more by not feeling mm -hmm. and stuff. You have got to detach yourself from those feelings in a way that enables you to do the work. And so how do you do that, right? I think, in my opinion, um, it's about um, how much do you live in that work, right? How much do you mm -hmm. live in that work? Um, how much do you just eat, breathe, sleep in that world? Yeah. If, if your interaction with your creativity to create whatever it is, is a little part-time thing that you engage in for 3.7 hours every week, it's going to be harder. Yeah. You're going to have more difficulty. If it's something that you think about the world's greatest guitarists and, and, or violinists or whatever, like they're just constantly playing. They yes. play for practice. They play for fun. They, you know, I, I, I was um, fortunate enough to see many, many, many great um, bands over the years play and there's a difference between a musician that is um reading from music and playing it and and a musician that's out on stage just it's just i remember the first time i saw steve by play guitar oh, wow. in person I'm out there on like a, like the second row in front of the stage and watching steve by play guitar was not like watching a man methodically play a stringed instrument you know according to some methodology this was an extension of his soul and it was just the music mm -hmm. was just pouring out of him right like so you think about that you think about how did he get to that well he got to that because that playing isn't something that he's doing to create albums it's his life the mm. album's merely a byproduct of the way that he lives Mm-hmm. So I think that's where we get things turned around a lot of times. It's about like we we get focused on being um product creators instead of instead of living the life of creativity. Okay. So the last part is just not to take ourselves too seriously, of course. Um to let that part of our lives not be the part of our lives but be our lives itself oh yeah 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 another another one that comes to mind too like i remember this i remember seeing um there's a wonderful native american uh rock blues band called uh indigenous and i think the the guitarist name is nanjo i'm probably slaughtering it but like um, I think is it is N A N J O, I think. Um, mm -hmm. but anyway, I saw them play in concert and I remember and same with Dick Dale, like 
radically different forms of music, right? Like mm. when I saw these musicians playing, like we saw Nancho playing, he I don't think his eyes were open the entire time. He was just he was just in an you could tell he was physically in another world. Mm. Uh, he, he was, I dare say, and no offense if if this if this ever but like I, I think he was like as much in the spirit world as he was in, in the world of of the audience that was listening to the music, right? Like you really felt like you were watching somebody who was transcending our reality. Um, Dick Dale, when I saw him right before his passing, you know, he was he was old and frail. He had to have two guys help him to get on stage and, and go up the stairs, and then they had to put the guitar over him. He just seemed he was hunched over and weak and frail looking and everything. But they kicked on the amps, and those first couple of riffs came up. And I swear, I don't think that there's any guitarist in the world that could keep up with him, even at that age. It was just like he became another pretty transcended our reality into into this other world, right? And I've seen painters and dancers and actors and like this isn't just music like mm -hmm. anybody can go to it. but like what do these people have in common i guarantee you all of these people have in common the fact that they live this existence it's not about the it's not about the album it's not about the money it's not about like i would be doing this no matter what i can't not do this yes um what, uh, who wrote the 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 big magic book um elizabeth gilbert yeah, she she told a story about a guy, maybe you can remember it better than me, who uh, went up to this famous author and he said, you know, that's great, you're a famous author, but I've been trying for for decades and I get nothing but rejections and writing is a painful, soul-sucking experience for me. And the uh, the famous artist told him, or the famous painter or, or um, writer told him, I'm so sorry that that happened to you. You should quit. Yeah. Like, and I don't remember what the outcome was, if that that liberated, I think I thought it was that that liberated him and then he went on to do something amazing. But like, I, I don't remember. But the point is, is that like, because his eye was on the product. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and that's why pop music sucks today. That's why, that's why pick your art form art, music, movies, whatever. That's why, that's why there's so much bad stuff out there mm -hmm. it's because we have so many product creators. Absolutely. Like, not artists <laughs> like the last sure. marvel series oh my goodness yeah. uh yeah i mean you could you could pick you could pick on whatever like you know yeah. the personal muse getting in touch with your personal muse is number one feeling the feeling okay with being intimate with yourself being able to let go and just not think about the product but just think about the experience um, getting into a routine in our lives where creativity is our life and not worrying about or judging any kind of result, understanding that our brain is there and resistance is there to keep us safe, but just doing it anyway. And then that pretty much sums up how to get in touch with your personal muse. You, you kind of see it for the... Jekyll and Hyde that it is right, right. you're you're going to have people that or you're going to have things within your psyche that want to keep you safe but then you have this other experience that has to outweigh the psyche wanting to keep you safe all of that and I think I think when you said looking inside yourself one thing I would add to that is it's shocking to me mm -hmm. How many people in the world around me um, are not introspective? Not everybody is introspective. 
Mm. Do you need to be introspective to be an artist? No. Mm-hmm. No. no. Um, does it help? I don't know. Maybe. I, I can't imagine being an artist and not being introspective. Mm-hmm. That's because I'm an introspective person by nature. Right. Uh, can you can you be introspective not by nature? Yeah. You can. Yeah. You can learn to be introspective. So I would say explore that. Explore what's deep inside you. And then when you, uh, and then the last thing I would say too, like one of the things we need to talk about in the future, but we can, we can go ahead and get into right now. I don't want to write, I don't want to create art or whatever, because I don't even know what my style is, man. If you try, if you try to create style, you're just fake. Mm-hmm. You're a fake, you're a fake, fake, faker. Like stop, stop now. If you're emulating <laughs> somebody else's style, stop. Like style is what happens after you've been doing your thing. Uh-huh. for a long time and you look back and you're like oh that's my style cool <laughs> if you force it or try to create it you're a fake sorry like that it's like it you can see them all that's why we got so many people who paint the same as other people or draw the same or play the gets i, I want to be the next eddie van halen oh that's sad because eddie <laughs> van halen was great because he was eddie van halen right i want to be the next mozart well that's kind of sad because like why don't you be the next you Mm-hmm. Well, I can't get rich doing that, man. Well, if that's what it's about, that's a whole nother thing, right? Like, if you want, if you want to talk about making money, become a product designer, right? Not an artist. Become a product designer and go design mm-hmm. products for the masses of consumers. Like, if you want to be an artist, like, we're not worried about money. We're not thinking about money, right? And is there a place to think about money and careers and all this? Absolutely. I'm not saying that you can't or shouldn't or whatever, but I'm thinking that when you're trying to nurture creativity and get your style and your true self out there, the best way to do that is to let go. Yeah, absolutely. Jeff, it's always great, man. It Um, was. Looking forward to our next adventure. As we wrap up this episode of Brushed with Creativity, I'd like to encourage all of our listeners to embrace the ebb and flow of inspiration in your creative journey. Remember, creativity knows no bounds, and each stroke of your artistic endeavor contributes to the masterpiece of your life. In the upcoming weeks, let your imagination soar, indulge your craft, and find the inspiration in the unexpected. Thank you for joining us on this exploration of creativity. If you're hungry for more, be sure to check out our show notes for our recommended readings, artist spotlights, and resources to fuel your own artistic pursuits. Remember, your creativity is a force to be reckoned with, and we look forward to journeying with you again in two weeks as we dive into more creative topics on Brush With Creativity. Until then, stay inspired, stay creative, and continue to explore the endless realms of your imagination.